There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. Uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians, so you can turn there now and go to chapter 12 uh, of the book of 1 Corinthians. Let me get rid of this piece of paper. Um, so I know that you're awake. Say amen. Oh, that's a good one. And those of you on Zoom, so I know you're awake, wave or say amen. Oh, I see. Great. Okay. Oh, I got an amen sign there. Beautiful. Well, we're in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, the church in Corinth is the, the, you might say, the most troubled church of all the churches in the New Testament, especially the ones that are written to all kinds of problems. It's a very pagan city, and the paganism has crept into the church in all kinds of ways. In one way, you wouldn't expect it to, but it did, and that is the Holy Spirit was really moving in that church, giving the people in that church spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about what that means and how they differ from talents, which are totally different. But in any case, people were getting these spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit was moving. Amazing things happening in the church. And this church is so fleshly and selfish that they started abusing the spiritual gifts. It became my gift, my gift is better than hers, and hers is better than hers, and it just became a big zoo. So there's all kinds of information here. Keep in mind, there are other passages that speak about spiritual gifts. So the list you're going to see here is not exhaustive. It's not every single list. At some point tonight, I'll read you the list of what I think are all the spiritual gifts, 19 of them. There's some overlap, though. Anyway, um, the Corinthian church had written to Paul. So whenever he says now about this subject, which he's done already a few times in this book, we're in chapter 12, he says it at the beginning of chapter 12. Do you see it there? Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. He's saying it that way because they had written to him <clears throat> asking, we got a lot of stuff going on. How do we handle this stuff? Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about conduct, proper conduct, when we're in the church meeting together uh, as a group of Christians, a family. So let's see. I think that's enough background. Uh, let me see. Yeah, the Holy Spirit figures prominently in this chapter. You'll see uh, a lot. Okay, let's pick it up. Verse one. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed. Verse two, you know that when you were pagans, we covered this last week, that's why I'm going quickly, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols or dumb idols. We talked last week about the fact that Corinth had this amazing structure up on a hill, uh, the temple to Aphrodite, which was a pagan temple, and there was all kinds of weird stuff going on there. Uh, pagan gods were sacrificed to, and worship, I'm putting it in quotes, was done for the men. There were a thousand temple prostitutes, and the men would pay money to the prostitutes, and it was worship. Yeah, right. There was all kinds of disorder, and uh, well, we'll get into that in a little while, but that's why he's saying that that what he's really hinting at in verse two is you guys were so used to that pagan stuff. I came and spread the gospel to you. We planted this church, but church is growing, but you're bringing in all that pagan stuff 
and perverting the spiritual gifts and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying in verse two. Verse three, therefore, I want you to know, by the way, if you need a Bible and you're here, there are some back on the back table there. Verse three, therefore, I want you to know, we, we just touched on this verse last week. It's an odd one. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed or Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We say, what on earth is that? Okay, Jesus is cursed is in Greek the word anathema. You ever heard of that? Something is anathema. It's the, it's a Jewish word, and it is the most um, the, the the most strong the strongest way you could condemn someone. He's a sinner. He's very bad. He's anathema, cursed. Okay, so what's going on is using their spiritual gifts, which they're way out of order. We'll see as we read these three chapters. People are standing up in church saying, Jesus is anathema. Jesus is cursed. You say, well, you would think somebody would stop that right away. Okay, so there's a couple theories about this. Number one, remember, just being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car or swimming in a lake makes you a duck, right? There's in every church setting, probably some unbelievers there. So this could be unbelievers saying this, um, probably was. Um, there's two theories on this. Number one, this first of all, this is clearly blasphemy. We're here to, at a church to worship Jesus Christ. Somebody's saying, Jesus is cursed. And maybe people are going, amen, whatever that means, kind of thing. Two theories. Theory number one, the Jews uh, from Deuteronomy, there's a verse that says, cursed same word, is everyone who hangs on a tree, okay? So they may have been taking that and saying, Jesus is cursed in that way, okay? But it's not the proper thing to say. Clearly, it's not the Holy Spirit making the person say that, or he wouldn't be bringing it up here. By the way, spiritual gifts are such a problem in this church. He's dealt with other problems in two paragraphs, half a chapter. There's three chapters here on spiritual gifts. Um, okay, so theory number two is Gnosticism was just starting. Gnosticism was the idea that in Greeks developed it. The body is basically bad. It's evil, there's lusts, there's other stuff, but the spirit is good. Oh, you're a Christian, your spirit is born again. Don't worry about your body. And that theory came from this theory, that Jesus, um, just before the Garden of Gethsemane, the Holy Spirit left Jesus. So from Gethsemane, through the whipping and the beating and the seven trials and marching to Golgotha and dying on the cross and being nailed to that cross and dying, his spirit had already left him. So his body was cursed. That may be what was meant. Is that true? No. His spirit never left his body until he said, the easy way to refute this is, what does he say on the cross? Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, meaning it was with him to the end. Either way, you, you slice this, this is evil, okay, and wrong. So look back at verse 3. What he's saying there is, no one speaking by the Holy Spirit of God would ever say that. 
Jesus be cursed. If you want to make it an even uh, more broad statement, I would say this. No one speaking by the Holy Spirit will ever stand up and say something. The Holy Spirit tells me to tell you people this. Oh, what is it, Joe? We're all gods. Okay. The Holy Spirit would never say that because it's not biblical. So anything that is said, whether it's with a gift to the Spirit or not, or in a sermon or on TV or wherever you hear it, if it's not biblical, you got to throw it out. And it's not the Holy Spirit teaching it. There are other spirits. Remember, he's going to say in the second Corinthians portion of these two books that there's a different Jesus and that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. We'll talk more about that later. So the point he's making is you cannot say something unbiblical like Jesus is cursed and say that was from the Holy Spirit. Can't be. Contradiction in terms. And then the opposite of that, he says, and by the same token, I'm throwing those words in, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that an unbeliever can't form those three words, Jesus is Lord. What it means is you could not say that without the Holy Spirit and actually mean it and have him be Lord of your life. By definition, when you came to Jesus and were saved, same with me, the second that happened, the Holy Spirit came to indwell, dwell inside of you and will never leave you. As a matter of fact, if you said Jesus is Lord. I'm I'm bowing my head to him and receiving him as Savior. If you said that on last Tuesday, I can guarantee you for a month, six months, two years before that, the Holy Spirit wasn't living inside of you, but he was doing this, drawing you. And you may have resisted for a while, but the guilt and the coming to church and somehow God keeps putting these Christian people around me. I don't even like Christians. Whatever the case may be, he's working in your life. When you receive him and you become a Christian, he comes to live inside of you. Okay. <clears throat> um, one quick reminder. Go to the same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to see something again. Look at verse 20. Chapter 10. Turn the page back. Verse 20. No, the, but the sacrifices of pagans, who do they sacrifice to? Idols of wood and stone and gold, silver. The sacrifices of pagans are offered to who? Demons. Do the people know that? No. But there's no real God. It's just a big stone something. But demons are behind all that stuff receiving the worship. That's why there's only one thing to worship, one person to worship, and that's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I just wanted you to see that. So if Satan can disrupt the worship in a church, he feels like he's done his job. And that's what's going on here. People are using their spiritual gifts, so-called, and someone's saying Jesus is accursed, and the church isn't awake enough, the elders aren't, the pastor isn't, to stop it. Verse four, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. So this is a theme for these next several verses. I'm going to call unity in diversity. Diversity meaning all different types. Look around the room. We've got all different ages and different colors, hair and we're all different ethnicities and what have you. Some of you were Christians your whole life. Some of you became Christian a year or two ago, whatever it may be. We're all different. 
Some of you are extremely gifted and know your Bible well. Some of you not so much like me, but all of us have a place in the church. That's the, the overarching point of these verses. Um, okay, so different kinds of gifts. He's going to say there's great diversity in them. The Corinthians were ranking the gifts by um, visibility and grandioseness. Is that a word? It is now. What do you mean? I mean, if somebody has the gifts of, you're going to see it in here, the gift of helps. That's just a person that, I'll help you do that. What do you need to be, what do you need done here? I'll do it. Those kind of people are so valuable in a church, but they never get the notoriety of the guy that preaches the sermons or whatever is more a demonstrative uh, gift. So different kinds of gifts, but he's saying the same spirit distributes them. He means the Holy Spirit, not any other kind of spirit, not a demon spirit, certainly. Same spirit distributes them. See the word spirit distributes. See those two words? He's going to say it again another way in a second. But for now, may I just say, where do you get the gifts? Well, you try really hard. No. You run for office and they might give you the, no. If you really, really, no. The Holy Spirit decides who gets what gift. I'll show you in a second that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Um, back to the text here. Different kinds of gifts, same spirit. Verse five, different kinds of service, same Lord behind them all. He's saying there's unity in the diversity. And your gift of service might not be hers or mine, but it's all the same Lord that we have to be unified as a body. Last one, verse six, different kinds of working. But in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. That's what they have in common. He's going to use the analogy of a human body in which if you get a microscope out, what you can't see with the human, with the naked eye, we're made up of cells, which are each alive. And every cell in your body, whether it's hair, nails, skin, heart, eyeball, all has your blueprint, your DNA. If you study DNA, it's an amazing study. It's total evidence for design from God. Uh, all living things, plants, animals have DNA. Human DNA is unique. Okay. So he's going to list nine gifts here. By the, word, by the way, the word for gifts is charismata from where we get charismatics. Okay. Charismata just means grace. So uh, let's see, do we want to do that now? Okay, what's the difference between a spiritual gift and a talent? Okay, talents. This person has a green thumb. They can grow anything. This person is a great baseball player or can paint art, works of art or sculpt or play music or build things or fix things or those are all talents. I'm not saying God won't give you those, but those are not spiritual gifts. Well, could you use those those talents for God's kingdom? Absolutely, right? But they're not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are unique abilities that God gives you to all for one purpose we're going to see, which is to build up the body of Christ. They are not for 
uh, self-aggrandizement. Look at me and my gift. That's the last thing a person should say about his spirit or her spiritual gift. So all those things are talents. Sometimes you inherit talents. My dad was athletic. I'm athletic, that kind of thing. Or my dad was an artist. I'm an artist. Um, spiritual gifts are only given to Christians because it's the Holy Spirit. No, no, no non-Christian could say, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but I have a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. Can't be. Okay. Just wanted to give you that. Okay. So what's a spiritual gift then? Um, first of all, they are in three categories. I'll show you as we go. Speaking, serving, and sign gifts. Speaking gifts, like teaching, prophecy, speaking in tongues, for example, serving gifts like the gift of helps, the gifts of administration, the gift of encouragement, where you, it's just serving. And then sign gifts, the more spectacular gifts, the working of miracles, healings, um, uh, things like that. Okay. There's one that's just miracles. Yeah. Plain and simple. Uh, let's see. I want to go back and look at verse four, five, and six again and see if you saw, and God does this a lot in the Bible. Interwoven in those three verses is the doctrine of the Trinity. Did you see it? Verse four, different kinds of gifts, the same spirit. Okay, Holy Spirit, check. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord, Jesus. Verse six, different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God, the Father. Isn't that a coincidence? No right? He wants you to know they come from the Spirit, but it's God working, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, doctrine of the Trinity. Wanted to point that out at no extra charge to you, at least not for now. Um, same God at work. Uh, let's see, do we have other notes to tell you about? Okay, spiritual gifts, um, they are abilities God gives that are supernatural, okay? They can't be mistaken as um, well, maybe he's just good at that, or she happens to be good at that. They are supernatural in nature. Uh, we'll talk more about it as we get into the individual gifts. Okay, why? Why spiritual gifts? Verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for their own good. Is that what it says? For the common good, meaning in a church situation. There is, in the Bible, two ways to say the church, meaning the church, this group of believers in this city, or the church universal, meaning all Christians all over the globe. Spiritual gifts, if you, uh, Billy Graham had the gift of evangelism, amen? That was all over the world. But usually, your spiritual gift, you will use it in your church and in your community. Wanted to mention that. Okay, now to each one, that's one of the places, there's another one in First Peter, where we learn that to each Christian, brothers and sisters is how he addressed everybody, to each Christian, there is the manifestation of the Spirit. That doesn't mean um, that he's not always present, because he is. But at certain times, it's manifested in a way it wasn't an hour ago kind of thing. Shown, in other words, manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given for the common good. If you have a spiritual gift and you're using it and you're realizing you're getting glory from it, you have to rethink the way you're using your gift because it's for the common good, right? And it is my opinion that in every church, there may not be people that know this 
about themselves, but in every church, th there are all the gifts necessary to make everything God wants to happen, happen. But somebody may not be using theirs or theirs or theirs, but they're all there. God puts certain people together. But again, you're going to see in this chapter, diversity. If everybody was the same, it'd be pretty boring. Amen. Okay. Uh, diversity is very healthy for a necessary for a healthy church. Sorry. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Speaking, serving and sign gifts. We'll talk more about that in a second. Um, by the way, in verse, let's see, which verse was that, um, service is diakonos from which we get deacons, just people serving other people. The next, uh, verse, verse six talks about different kinds of working or activity kind of thing. Um, and that's the word from which we get energy in Greek. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but yeah, uh, same root word. Let's see. Verse eight, let's dive in. Now he's going to start listing the gifts. We'll try to try to explain each one, but not beat a dead horse. To one, there's given through the spirit, a message of wisdom or a word of wisdom. Now, what's that? This is not somebody that he's just so wise always it's given at certain times that when there's a problem you know people like this you go to them and they go tell me again what's the problem and they just have a certain godly wisdom about them i don't mean here's what to invest in stocks and it's godly stuff right spiritual stuff they have god's wisdom god's wisdom is personified in jesus christ by the way jesus christ is over the off the chart in these gifts obviously so word of wisdom or uh, a message of wisdom a unique ob ability to speak god's wisdom stephen had it in acts 7 uh paul certainly had it wisdom and knowledge are they the same no wisdom is the application of knowledge you can have all kinds of facts and not be very wise right um be very very smart and yet be foolish wisdom is the application of those facts that knowledge in a godly way problem solver this might be a christian counselor has that sort of a gift of wisdom um, and their, the ability to solve problems. Okay, the next one is knowledge. Look at it with me in verse eight. To another, a word of or message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. Do you see spirit, spirit, spirit? It's everywhere. It's in verse eight. It's in verse seven. It's in verse nine. Same thing. It just keeps going on and on. He wants you to know these gifts come from the Holy Spirit. By the way, in case I forget, I want to say this now. You may know someone who is unbelievably spiritually gifted. That is not necessarily, that does not necessarily mean that person ought to be in leadership. Okay. But they're so spiritually gifted. When Paul twice, once in first Timothy three and once in Titus one, when he gives the requirements for elders, those that lead a church, it's not about gifts of the spirit. It's about maturity. It's about Christian conduct. Somebody that walks the walk and talks the talk, uh, both. 
Okay. Um, do I want to say that now? No, I'm going to wait on that. Knowledge. Okay. This is a gift of knowledge, meaning often, not always, that this is something that could not be known normally by the person. Okay. Um, and God gives them knowledge about this person. Have you ever had, and this is a mild form of this gift, might not even be the real gift, but let me say it. Have you ever had a strong feeling, I need to pray for less right now? Haven't seen him in a few weeks, and hmm, I guess I'll just pray for him. Then you run into less at the supermarket, and he says, man, yesterday uh, I almost died. And he, what? What happened? Well, it was 2.30 in the afternoon, and you think, that's about when I just thought about Wes. And you might say, well, that's just a coincidence. I don't think so. So it can be that sort of thing, a direct word from God, where people stand up and say, I have a word of knowledge from God. Again, test all things, hold fast to that which is true. What do you mean? Anybody can stand up in a church and say, I have a word of knowledge. A former pa a, a pastor, he's still a pastor, that I've known for years, told us a story about he graduated from Bible college, and he was living in Oregon. And somebody came up to him and said, I had a word of knowledge for you from God. You're supposed to go to, you know, Texas. I don't remember where it was, somewhere far away. Oh, okay, thank you. I'll certainly pray about that. Same day, someone else comes up to him and says, I had a word of knowledge and you're supposed to go to Africa on a mission. So at least one of those are wrong, right? Maybe both. And so it's been said when someone says, I have a word of knowledge for you, Ken. Here's what God wants you to do. Ken's a Christian. Ken could say, thank you. But God's got my email, my phone number. He knows where I am. He could tell me too. I'm not saying it couldn't happen that way. I'm just saying people say all kinds of things. Remember that I said these gifts are supernatural, okay? So here is what is not a gift of no a, a word of knowledge. Oh, I'm getting a word of knowledge. There's going to be a white car um, in Oakhurst tomorrow. You think, right? Those kind of things are too general. God never does it that way. Okay, so word of knowledge, a direct word from God, or some gleaned truth from Scripture that God gives you. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Okay, this is a great one. Verse 9, to another, faith by the same Spirit. You say, what do you mean? There's a gift of faith. You mean saving faith? No, no, that's different. Every believer has faith. Romans says, unto each, every Christian, listen, is given a measure of faith. Every Christian. You say, well, then why are some people, she's so much more faithful than most of us. Why is that? Because faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the more it grows, right? The more you step out in faith. Faith is given to all believers to believe, but this is not that saving faith. We all have that. This is extraordinary faith. You ever meet people like that, that we're all freaking out and they go, it's going to be all right. God's got this. And they, those tend to be great prayer warriors. Amen. So the, it's an extraordinary gift of faith. 
Romans 12, 3 and Ephesians 2 talk about every believer having faith. But this is simple, listen, confidence in the promises of God. What it's not is, I have faith that there's a God somewhere. See, that sounds to me like an ignorant faith. Doesn't really know much about God, but I know he's out there. He's right. That's not an extraordinary faith. Where does faith come from? You know what the Bible says? Faith, I'm going to tell you, comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God, the Bible. Where is the faith gymnasium? It's in your Bible. It's in every sermon that you hear that's biblical. It's in Bible studies. You ought to be thirsting for it and want it to learn as much as you possibly can. Faith comes from hearing the word. I've told you this before. Um, I'm a, I am was a musician, a professional musician for 50 years. You would think all he listens to is music. In my bathroom, I know this is weird, and in my sh- bathroom, meaning by the sink where I wash up and shave, and in the shower, I have a radio, and I have Christian radio on in there. Okay, I just want to, I can't get enough. I want to learn as much as I can, partly because I'm teaching this Bible study. And most of you know how stupid I am, and I want that to change. But in any case, um, this is extraordinary faith to just have simple faith in what the God of the universe says. George Mueller, 19th century England, Christian guy, sees a need. There's a bunch of orphans, and they uh, don't have proper housing or food or clothing. He doesn't have much money. And so he just prays. You mean, and had a fundraiser? No. And announced it to the church? No. He just prayed that people would give and donate. And thousands of orphans ended up with housing and food and lodge and, and clothing and all that stuff, strictly from prayer. That's an extraordinary gift of faith. I mean, we all pray, don't we? But then we go, well, now what do I have to do to make this happen? He, George Mueller just prayed and it happened. Okay. Now we get to some other ones. And these are um, not in any particular order. Some are, but these aren't. Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay, good. You guys on Zoom, you doing okay? All right. Um, Let's see. Faith by the same spirit to another. I'm still in verse nine. To another gifts of healing by that one spirit. Okay. What's that? Just what it sounds like. The gift of healing. Now in the three categories, speaking, serving, sign gifts, this is a sign gift. It's a sign. It's it's an absolute miracle. Remember that signs point to something, right? It's not pointing to, look what a great healer that guy is. It's pointing to, look what a great God he serves, that God's healing through the person. If it's word of knowledge, God's speaking through the person. If it's wisdom, God is giving that person extraordinary wisdom. That's why he keeps saying, by the same spirit, by the same spirit. Okay, gifts of healing. Now, there's two categories. Basically, there are other, um, I'm sort of in the middle, but more to one side. Two categories of scholars of the Bible with regard to the sign gifts, okay? Healing, miracles, that kind of thing. Group number one says 
the gift of healing and the sign gifts are still extant in the world today in the same measure and the same frequency and the same um, magnitude as they were when Jesus was on the earth as when the apostles were on the earth. It's still the same. The other group of which I lean strongly are called cessationists. Cease, to cease, to stop. What does that mean? That some, I can make a biblical case I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but that the sign gifts ceased at the end of the first century with the death of the last apostle, which is the apostle John. Now, why would that happen? Why would you say that? Number one, if you read the church fathers in the second century, and even at the end of the first century, if you read the books of the Bible that were written toward the end, very, very, very little, if any, talk about spiritual gifts. Most of the epistles never mention spiritual gifts. Why are they here? Because they're having so many problems in Corinth. Why would God do spiritual gifts then and not now that, that are healing and spectacular, the sign gifts? Number one, because the Bible hadn't been fully written and distributed then. So to validate or authenticate the message, both of Jesus and of the apostles, they were able to do extraordinary gifts of healing. Okay. Everyone that had the gift of healing in the New Testament could not, none of them could use it carte blanche everywhere I want to go. I can just go empty out every hospital in Fresno, and then I'll go to Sacramento, and then we'll go to the Bay Area. We'll just empty them all out. You never see that. Paul had the gift of healing. But he couldn't heal Trophimus. He couldn't heal his own thorn in the flesh. And there's another name who he couldn't heal, and I don't have it in front of me, but uh, it's in the notes somewhere. The point is that it it is something that God gives that gift uh, to heal diseases. Okay, we'll get to miracles, which is a different category. That's even more amazing. That's raising the dead, for example. As you go around. Christian circles. You hear stories, okay? And let me tell you, before you, you start judging, oh, he's a cessationist, he doesn't believe the sign gifts are available today, that's not my position. Wait, I thought you said it was. Here's my position. The sign gifts, could God still give someone the ability to heal? Absolutely. He's God. Who am I to say, you can't do that? <laughs> a lightning bolt, right? <clears throat> But it is not normative. It's not something you see all over the place. If it was, why aren't they emptying out hospitals? Why aren't they, why don't you see it all the time? Raising from the dead and new arms and legs being made and eyeballs that were uh, blind being made to see all of a sudden. Could God do it? Absolutely. Does he do it normatively? I don't see it. I don't think so. There are all kinds of charlatans on Christian TV folks that claim to have that gift. Um, Benny Hinn, there's so many I could name. Uh, what's the guy's name? Peter Popov. Anybody ever heard of Peter Popov? Um, uh, a real Pentecostal type minister, had a huge TV ministry in giant churches all over the US and all over the world. And he would say, you know, 10,000 people in a big auditorium. I'm getting a message. There's somebody here 
um, with extreme back problem. His name is Harold Davidson. And the people go, oh my gosh. And Harold stands up barely. He can barely walk and, and he heals him. And people donate money and they love it. And it turns out that there was an expose on Peter Popov where his wife and several of his staff were out in the foyer talking to people with walkers and wheelchairs. What's your name? Davidson, Harold Davidson, Harold Davidson. What's your, are you, your back pains? Out it? Yes. And I have cancer. And, and he wore an earpiece and they were speaking to him. Harold Johnson, he's on your right. He's in a yellow, yellow shirt and blue jeans. Harold Johnson, is that you? And it looks so supernatural. So like I said, could God heal somebody? Yes. Did you hear me pray for healing for a couple of dozen people? Doesn't that prove I believe it could happen? And it has happened. And it does. Do I have the gift of healing? No. Um, God does. That's why we're praying to God. If I had it, I'd go lay hands on people kind of thing, right? So, um, but at times the apostles got the ability to heal diseases. Paul couldn't heal. There it is. He couldn't cure Timothy or Trophimus. Remember, he tells Timothy, you've got stomach problems, take a little wine for them. He doesn't say, when I come there, I'll lay hands on you, good as new. It wasn't at his disposal. Who gives the gifts? The Holy Spirit, as he sees fit. Paul couldn't remove his own thorn, uh, but he healed many people on the island of Malta, and he healed a guy named Publius there as well. So, Almost every scholar agrees, at least to this, that the amount, the number of healings and the grandiose nature of healings in that first century were way different than they are today. Can God still heal? Absolutely. Um, but it's not normative. Uh, so uh, let's keep whirling, rolling. And then I want to show you some proof for something I said earlier. Verse 10 uh, is an even bigger miracle. Do you see it there? How are we doing on time? Pretty good. Okay. To another, miraculous powers or the working of miracles. There's that word energy again. The working of miracles, dynamaeus is the word. Extraordinary acts of power. The Holy Spirit overrides the laws of nature even to make these things happen and works through a gifted person. Raising of the dead, we mentioned earlier, right? If somebody has that gift, why aren't they going to the mortuaries and the hospitals as soon as people die? They just pop them all up, right? Um, could he do it? Absolutely. Um, sometimes the word for miracles can mean a spectacular acts of, wait for it, judgment. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They lie they come to the church, Acts 5, you can read about it. There's so many lessons in that little story. Husband and wife, they show up at church and they go, Peter, we sold our piece of property on Bass Lake. And we want, we're giving all the money to the church. What a nice thing. Peter, speaking of old gifts we already talked about, gets a word of knowledge, which is a Greek word baloney. Is that Greek? I don't know. But anyway, what do you mean? It turns out they sold the property for $500,000 and they're donating two fifty dollars to the church. Is that nice? Yes. Bring it, people, you know. But 
don't lie and say we're giving all the money from the they're lying peter gets a word of knowledge that says this isn't right and he calls ananias on it why has the whole why have uh, satan tempted you to lie to god Ananias must have turned beet red and thought, how did he know? Did he go to the escrow company? Does he know the real estate agent? I'm making all that up, but you know what I'm saying? They thought they're going to love us. It wasn't it great that they gave half the money? Absolutely. That's all they would have had to say. We're giving half. You think the church would have went, no, unless it's everything, forget it. They would have said, what a generous thing. Thank you. But they lied. What's your point? Miraculous works. You know what happens to him? He dies on the spot, and so does his wife when she comes in, right? So don't lie about your gifts. Anyway, uh, kind of unusual because that's more than one. Uh, Exodus 4, Moses tells God, I'm worried that the people aren't going to believe that you sent me. So God says, I'll give you some signs. His hand can turn leprous and then be totally healed. Remember that? He can throw his big staff on the ground. It'll turn into a snake and then he'll pick it up and it'll turn into a stick again. You say, well, that's interesting. It would validate the message. Okay. You can't be so sign focused that you just want to see the magic show and you don't care what the message is. Why am I saying that? Because if somebody does miracles and someone's coming who will, uh, Second Thessalonians talks about the Antichrist will be able to do, listen, lying signs and wonders. He'll be able to summon fire from the sky. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's a miracle. The point is, if you're so into miracles and you go, well, that confirms it. Listen, listen to the message. Antichrist's message is eventually going to be worship me, Antichrist. You will know right away. I don't care what signs this guy does. It's not biblical. He's evil. And in fact, he is. Antichrist is a man that will rule the whole world, empowered by and dwelt by Satan, not the Holy Spirit. Okay, now that I scared all of you, let's keep rolling. Um, so Exodus 4, yeah, there's uh, John chapter 10. Jesus talks about his miracles, and he says, believe the works, the miracles, so that you will know and understand that the Father's in me, and I'm in the Father. That's why Jesus is able to do these miracles not only because he's God, but because it validates his message. The ultimate miracle Jesus does is not healing, raising the dead, feeding multitudes, uh, casting out demons. That's another miraculous work. The ultimate one is rising from the dead. Turn to Hebrews. So from 1 Corinthians, take a right and go about, I'll say nine books, 12 books, somewhere in there. Hebrews, go to the right. If you get a, get to 1 Peter or James, you went too far, which I did. Okay, Hebrews chapter two comes right after chapter one, coincidentally or not. Chapter two of Hebrews, we want verses three and four. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Hebrews 2, 3 says, this salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was, notice, confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified, here it is, God also testified to it. What's it? The message. 
announced by the Lord, the great salvation, the gospel. Verse four, God also testified to it by what? Signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Those who believe the sign gifts ceased for the most part are those who believe they were so extant at that time because there wasn't the New Testament. It wasn't written and widely distributed. Now that it is, we are called to read it, believe it, and act on it. In those days, it was all passed on orally, and everybody was coming through town with a different, there's a Messiah over in Syria, and what's the proof? God used these miraculous signs, which were all good, right? Healings and all kinds of things like that, casting out of demons. Okay. Uh, yeah. When you read the Bible, we tend to focus on, don't we? The miracles. I love it. God's power being shown. But the truth is, all the people who lived at the time the Bible was being written, Old Testament, up to Jesus's time, and then Jesus dies and rises and, uh, and ascends to heaven, and then the apostolic era from about 30, 32 AD, all the way to 95 AD, you see the, those miracles happening. They don't happen in the frequency after that, the graph of it goes like this, falls like a rock. And in the second century, people, church fathers are writing about this, and they don't talk about miracles happening and speaking in tongues and all the other things. Perhaps they were signs to validate the message until the word was written. Let's take our two-minute break, eat all that sugar food, and stretch our aging bodies, and we'll be back in two minutes. If you're here in person, make sure you say hello to someone you don't know, and we'll be right back. Those of you on Zoom, stay tuned. I'll be right back. And welcome back to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. We are still in 1 Corinthians 12, talking about spiritual gifts. Let's keep moving. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we looked at Hebrews 2. Okay, the next one. And I think we're still in verse uh, 9, right? Nope. 10. Oh, yeah. Uh, miraculous powers. You see that there. Uh, to another, next gift, prophecy. Prophecy is a speaking gift. Okay. Now, when most people hear prophecy or the word prophet, not with an F, but with a P-H-E-T. Most people think prophet, prophecy, oh, uh, predicting the future. Very little of the prophecy of the Old Testament is predicting the future. That idea came about centuries after the New Testament. Most prophecy, the word prophecy is two Greek words put together. And what it means is, um, well, let me get it so I don't mess it up. Uh, pro, P-R-O, and then P-H-E-M-I, prophemi, which means before, pro, speak. To speak before. You mean in time? Can be predicting the future. Sometimes the prophets do that. Most of the time, it means to speak before people. Like that. Those of you on Zoom that didn't hear that, we heard, hello. Okay. Maybe that was a word of prophecy right there. Who knows? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, prophecy means the be 
it's a gift that allows you to speak before people about Christianity, about Christ, about spiritual things. Um, Jerry Seinfeld has a funny comedy routine where he says, in a list of fears of Americans, the number one fear of Americans is not death. Do you know, that's number two. Do you know what number one is? Public speaking. And Jerry Seinfeld says what that means is people have a greater fear of public speaking than death. It means at a funeral, they would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy, right? I didn't make it up. It's a Seinfeld. Anyway, so prophecy is speaking forth to speak before people. It can be the giving forth of the gospel, period, without predicting any future things, uh, you know, uh, predictive kind of prophecies. Certainly, there were all kinds of prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled more than 300 of them in his lifetime, uh, and they were specific prophecies as well. Um, keep, keep your finger where we are and go to chapter 14 of this book, uh, and I'll show you an interesting verse. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. This is somebody with the gift of being able to bring forth the word of God in such a way that it strengthens them. Look at that list again. I already turned the page. Um, strengthen them, encourage them, comfort them. That's a gift not everybody has. How many of you have a would not be that comfortable in, with public speaking? Can I see your hands? Yeah, a lot. Um, I am the kid that in the fifth grade, everybody in my class had to get up and give a report in front of the whole class. And I talked the teacher out of it because I was so scared of public speaking. And I did a written paper so I wouldn't have to get up and talk in front of everyone. So an evidence, if you will, that God wanted me eventually to do it, but I was way too afraid to get up and talk in front of people. Um, in any case, prophecy, prophema, to speak before, speaking forth the word of God. Um, he who prophesies speaks unto men, speaking, proclaiming, preaching publicly, um, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep rolling. Verse, uh, still in verse 10. And to another, let's see, no, yeah, and to another, yeah, there it is, distinguishing between spirits, or some translations have the word discernment. Do you see that? You say, what's that? That is uh, a supernatural ability to sense something's not right here. That's a false prophet. That's a false teacher. That's a false writing that someone wrote. Um, uh, distinguishing of spirits. Because keep in mind, like we said, um, Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. And there in 2 Corinthians, he talks about that there's another gospel and another Jesus. Where did that come from? Deceiving spirits. So, the best way to be discerning about spiritual stuff is know your Bible. That's why I use the example of saying every, we're all gods. Anybody here that knows their Bible goes, no, that, that's what? That's not biblical, right? Satan is more subtle than that, however. And 
can say all kinds of things that are comforting and very nice, but we call it the skin of the truth uh, stuffed with a lie. This gift, dis discernment or distinguishing of spirits, can tell the good spirits from the bad spirits, um, identify and ex expose false teachers and doctrine. Uh, yes, 2 Corinthians 11 is Satan masquerades, masquerades as an angel of light. Um, turn to 1 John. So go to the back of the Bible. Go to Revelation is the easiest way and then take a left. And you go three books, uh, four books to the left and you'll come to 1 John. We'll only be here a second. 1 John chapter 4. And I'll, this illustrates, look at verse 1. 1 John 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Well, I had a spiritual experience and we were on LSD and this, wait, wait, you were what? We were really drunk and this, wait, what now? Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ, that name in itself has so much theology in it, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In other words, First John is written to combat the Gnostics who said Jesus Christ wasn't, eventually the Gnostics said, remember the, the body is evil, the spirit is good. They ended up with the doctrine, Gnostics did, and it crept into the church that Jesus looked like he had a body, but it wasn't real. He was just pure spirit. But then how did he bleed? How did he die? How did he rise from the dead? You could go on and on. When he Even when he rises from the dead, remember, they think they're seeing a spirit and he says, you got anything to eat? Remember? And he eats fish in front of them to show them, look, I'm real. It's me. Handle me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. That's Luke 24. What's interesting about that is, why doesn't he say flesh and blood? because he bled out. He's still flesh and bone, resurrected physical body. Anyway, test the spirits. Verse three, I'm still in first John four, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. It's the spirit of antichrist, which you've heard is coming is now already in the world. Don't trust every spiritual experience. Are there some places and activities that invite the false spirits, the evil spirits, the demons. Yes, the occult, for example, heavy drug use, seances, past life regression, deep uh, transcendental meditation, getting yourself into an altered state of consciousness. You're opening yourself up to that spirit world. And Satan is so smart, he doesn't come looking like an ugly, fierce creature that he is, like a lion seeking to destroy us. He comes as an angel of light. It's all good. Um, so we have to test the spirits. We have to be discerning. There's a gift of discernment. That's the one we're talking about. Uh, while we're on the subject, though, do we want to go there? Yeah, let's go to 2 Thessalonians 2 for a second. So from 1 Corinthians, you say, I was just back in 1 Corinthians. Now take a right and go to 2 Thessalonians. That's about five books, six books to the right. It's where all they all start with the letter T. Two Thessalonian books, two Timothy books. Talking about the Antichrist. First, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
If you can't find that, it's okay. Just listen. Second Thessalonians 2, look at verse 9. One of the names for Antichrist is the lawless one. Look at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. Displayed, listen to this, in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And they'll be condemned who haven't believed the truth, delighted in wickedness. The Antichrist is going to be Mr. Miracle Worker. And believe me when I say most of planet Earth will see the miracles and go, what more proof do we need? This is God in a man's body. Test the spirits. What's the message? Okay. Um, yeah, well, we should have gone to First Thessalonians, but we, we'll move on. Okay, let's go. Let's get to tongues now. Um, to another, okay, I'm still at the end. I'm still in verse 10 at the end. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Okay, now when you see the word tongues, you all know that a tongue is a body part, right? I won't make you stick out your tongue. Some of you already are doing that to me anyway. A tongue, when you read tongues in the Bible, it means languages. Greek is a tongue. Italian is a tongue. Japanese is a tongue. Uh, all kinds of English is a tongue. All different languages. Now turn to Acts chapter 2. So from 1 Corinthians, take a left, go two books to the left. Acts chapter 2 sometimes called the wood chopping book. Acts, no. Okay, sorry. Acts chapter two, verse four. Uh, day of Pentecost came, well, pick it up in verse one. They're all together in one place. Suddenly a, a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit, look, enabled them. Translation, the ability to speak in another language. You say, oh, yeah, I, I took Spanish and I can speak Spanish. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ability to speak Swahili when you have never studied one word of it and God gives you the ability to speak in another language. They're all together in one place and in that city where they are in Acts 2, there are people from all over the place and some of them don't speak Greek. They do speak some Greek, but their native language is Japanese or whatever, maybe some African language. And what's going on? Verse five. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Mind-blowing. I personally think that does not mean there was one person speaking for every language that they were being heard in. I think it means that if Roy had that gift that day and was speaking in some language he never knew, I think I would hear them if I'm Japanese in Japanese and my friend from uh, 
Russia would hear them in Russian, hear him in Russian. They were hearing the wondrous works of God. I want you to notice they're not preaching the gospel. They are hearing them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, verse 7, they asked, aren't all these men who are speaking Galileans? He said, what's that? Listen, Galilee was hick country, okay? It was, aren't these people from Arkansas? They never learned no languages. How are they doing this? Aren't these guys Galileans? Aren't they from Raymond? Aren't they from Oakhurst? How do they... Then, how is it that each of us hears them in his own language? And I won't read them all, but look at verse 9. Parthenians, uh, Parthenians uh, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus. This will all be on the test. You better write this down. Asia, and I'm kidding. But look at all those different places and peoples. Uh, skip down to the middle of verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Don't you know that got people's attention? Well, why would this, why doesn't this happen today? Because now we have the word of God. Now we have the word of God on satellite TV. We have it in, on the internet. We have it in book form in every language, almost on the whole surface of the planet, right? Could God still do this, Joe? Absolutely. But um, this is unique. This thing never happened again in history that I know of, certainly not in the Bible. There are many who think this was a reversal of Genesis and the confusing of the languages. Do you remember that? At the Tower of Babel, where all of mankind got together and said, we all speak the same language. Who needs God? Let's build the tower and we'll build a stairway to heaven, so to speak, of our own. And God sees that. It's an abomination. He confounds the languages so that that group only speaks French and this group only German and they can no longer communicate. So they kind of go to their own different areas. Some see this as a reversal of that in a spiritual sense for the gospel. It doesn't last forever, but it lasts for a while. Okay, you now go back to 1 Corinthians, if you will. So these are um, languages. Uh, we already talked about that. Uh, this gift, by the way, in Corinth, which was multinational, many different nations, would be really valuable to have. Um, let's see. Whenever it appears on a list of gifts, tongues is at the end. Last one. Most scholars think of them all, it's the least valuable. Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but I'd rather speak five words in an, a, a known language that you understand than 10,000 words in a tongue. Later, he's going to say that in this book, chapter 14, I think it is. Um, why does he spend so much time on tongues in this book? Because it's a big problem. It's a big um, calling card. It's a big uh, sort of, yes, I speak in tongues. Oh, you don't? Oh, kind of that you're a lesser Christian if you don't do it. Keep in mind, he's going to say again, as he said earlier, all the gifts are given by the Holy Spirit at his discretion for his will. Why do you mention that, Joe? Because I know of churches where this gift was so abused, where they would say, if you don't speak in tongues, 
step into the tongue room over here. I'm kidding about that, but step into this room. I can give you the gift of tongues. Not biblical. Who gives Are you the Holy Spirit, pal? No. Then be quiet. You know what they do? Have you ever heard this? It's bizarre. Okay, repeat after me. Tie my bow tie. Tie my bow tie. Okay, say it again. Tie my bow tie. Okay, and I'll say it five times fast. Tie my bow tie, tie my bow tie, tie my bow tie, tie my bow tie. If you keep doing it, eventually you start going, and they go, there it is. And you don't want to act like, I don't have it. Everybody else has it. And you go, oh, good. But you don't. The Holy Spirit gives the gift. Is it a real gift? Yes. Is it greatly counterfeited? And was it counterfeited in this church? Yes. That's why you spend so much time on it. Okay. They perverted the gift. They faked it. They overdid it. There was a lack of order. Later on in chapter 14, he's going to really talk about tongues. We'll get there probably 10 years from now. But chapter 14, he will say in a church setting, two or three at the most speaking in tongues. And there has to be an interpretation. If Janet speaks in tongues and Jeff has the gift of interpretation, he has to interpret what she said. Because otherwise, it's and everybody goes, I don't know what that means. What did we gain from that? Right? There has to be an interpretation, two or three at the most. In that passage, he's going to say in chapter 14, it's interesting, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Do you know what that means? You can't say, I had the gift of tongues and I, I couldn't keep silent. Wrong. You, you know when there's disorder. I've been in Pentecostal churches where everybody was speaking in tongues at once. Nobody was translating. It was just a madhouse. It was amazing, but it was, I remember leaving going, ah, I don't know what I got out of that, but hmm, maybe, you know, God gives rules. God is a God of order. Look at the universe. Look at the human body. Look at science. Look at physics. God's a God of order. He wants order in the church as well. I'm not saying that it's disorderly to speak in tongues. I'm saying we got to do it according to what his word says. Okay, so they faked it. They lacked order. We'll see that in chapter 14 when we re revisit this subject. Okay, um, in fact, we're going to go to chapter 14 in a second. Um, yeah, let's go there now. And we'll just point out a few things. Chapter 14, go back to 1 Corinthians and go to 14. Starting uh, in verse four, I want to say, uh, and we're going to skip around a little bit, so bear with me. Uh, verse three, everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Aren't those good things? Yes. He who speaks in a tongue, verse 4, edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. The gifts are for the building up of the church. Is he down on tongues? No, but he's saying there's much greater value in prophesying, preaching forth the word of God in such a way that builds people up. They learn, they grow, etc. Okay. <laughs> verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so the church may be edified. Like I said, if it's just gibberish, what, what did that mean? We didn't really get anything out of that. You might be surprised to learn that speaking in tongues is common in the occult, in Islam, 
in Hinduism, in Satanism, in paganism, it's common with some mental illness. It's common in shamanism. Um, Matthew 6, 7, Jesus says, when you pray, do not babble on like the, the Gentiles, the pagans. In other words, speaking words that we can understand. Paul's not down on tongues. He just wants it done properly. properly. Um, verse 6, if I, now brothers, I'm still in chapter 14. If I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune's being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? In other words, if there's a melody, you go, oh, that's pretty, that's a melody, as opposed to, mm, 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 mm. sounds like an alarm at your house, right? Something that sounds like Joe was cooking at our house. The, doo, doo, doo. Okay. Um, okay. Same thing with the trumpet. Verse 10, there are all sorts of languages in the world, tongues, same word, yet none of them was out with, is without meaning. If I don't, verse 11, if I don't grasp the meaning of what someone's saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker. He's a foreigner to me. Um, since you're, verse 12, trying to eat, since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, verse 13, anyone who speaks in a tongue should spray, should pray, not spray, should pray that he interprets what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful pause parenthetically tongues ecstatic babbling was occurring at that temple of aphrodite in corinth by the way uh very common um uh let's see verse 15 so what shall i do i will pray with my spirit but i also pray with my mind i'll sing with my spirit but I'll also sing with my mind if you're praising God with your spirit, verse 16, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving? He doesn't know what you're saying. Uh, let's see. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, verse 18. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words, what I quoted earlier, to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Uh, let's see. Tongues then, verse 22, surprisingly, are a sign for who? Not for believers, but for unbelievers. Uh, sign being another word for a miracle, a sign pointing to the veracity, the truth of the gospel. They're a sign for believers. No, they're not a sign for believers, but for unbelie unbelievers. Prophecy is for believers, not for unbelievers. Translation. An unbeliever comes into a church service. If he hears you speaking in your language, he's blown away, right? You might not even know what you're saying, but he hears it and understands. On the other hand, believers aren't edified. They're not built up because they whatever that may probably said something in some language and offended someone. My point is you didn't understand a word I said and neither did I. But if I say Jesus is Lord and he loves you and he died for your sins, that's edifying. I mean, you may say, duh, but right, it builds you up to hear the gospel. Prophecy, the preaching of the gospel is for believers. And no, that wasn't speaking in tongues that I did earlier. Okay, um, so verse 23 is going to get to the abuses now. If everyone 
So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, what I saw in San Jose, and some who do not understand or some believers, unbelievers come in, will they not say you're mad, you're out of your minds? It's just chaos. That's that church I saw in San Jose, total chaos. Um, like I said, was it when my eyes opened and was it amazing? Yes. But did I leave going, wow, I learned a lot? No. Um, okay. So uh verse 26 everyone has a hymn a word of instruction a revelation a tongue or an interpretation all these must be done for the strengthening of the church if verse 27 anyone speaks in a tongue two or three at the most should speak one at a time and someone must interpret so that people get what was said right uh, if there's no interpreter, the speaker, that's the tongue person, should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. He's not saying it's invalid. He's saying that person can speak in his own spirit and to God. But in a church setting, speaking in tongues doesn't have that much value unless he stands up with the gift of interpretation and says, what Joe said was, thus saith the Lord, and he gives some message. As long as what he says is biblical and is a true interpretation, everybody gets something out of it. Amen. They may have been faking not only the gift of tongues, and there may have been pagan people in there with all kinds of ecstatic utterances, but you can even fake, let's face it, the gift of interpretation, right? Somebody says something in some other language, and if I'm faking it, I say, uh, the, what, I have the gift of interpretation. What Don Collins just said was, um, everyone needs to give more money to the church, especially to the Joe Shireno to Europe fund, because we're going next year. What? That wasn't biblical. I mean, who knows? And by the way, if no one speaks that language, how do you know what I said was really a translation, right? So um, uh, let's see. So the gift of interpretation is a supernatural gift where the person hears that language. And even though they never studied Greek, they're suddenly able to hear it and go, I, I know what he's saying, and I can say it, right? Um, okay, yeah, we already talked about Pentecost. Uh, by the way, Peter at Pentecost later, the same day, preached a sermon in the language of the day, Greek, that everybody understood, and thousands got saved, Right? They were interested because of the tongues, but they didn't. They weren't getting saved because of the tongues. They were getting saved because of the prophecy, the preaching of the gospel. So, um, again, like all the other gifts, I, I believe the sign gifts are not extant today to the extent that they were years ago. I think that they were for that purpose of validating the gospel. But I say, like I did with healing and miraculous signs, could God give somebody here the gift of speaking in tongues yes he's god how can i say no he couldn't do that um but i think it would be biblical if it happened and if he gave someone here the gift of tongues then um celia or somebody brian would also have the gift of interpretation and we'd all hear it and learn um some who speak in tongues say that their gift is um a prayer language or something that they don't do in a church. I know people in this church who speak in tongues 
and they don't disrupt the service and stand up and speak Swahili, but in their home, at times, they speak in tongues. And so to that, I say, who am I to say, no, that's not, or yes, that is, I don't know, right? But if they are edified by it and it happens involuntarily, and they're they're literally Christians, they're not like into the occult and other weird stuff, then so be it. I think there's room for that um, without condemning anyone and saying categorically, no, that can't be, or this has to be, and all of that. Um, okay, now we're moving on. I've offended just about everyone. Let's move on. Um, so in the interpretation of Franks, verse 11, all these... And by the way, I said earlier, this is not an exhaustive list of every single spiritual gift. I'm going to give you that probably next week. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And now he's going to really spell it out. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines, as he wills. You can't hotwire the car. I want the gift of prophecy. I'm going to get it can't do it. I'm going to give you, Richard, the gift of time. You can't do it. I'm just a human being. But if he wants you to have it, he'll give you that gift. But the Holy Spirit does it. Notice the male pronoun. All these are the work of one and the same spirit and it or he. It's not an it. Jehovah's Witnesses believe the Holy Spirit is an it. I show them this verse every time I talk to them. They believe the Holy Spirit, you see, it's like gravity. This is right out of their books. It's like electricity. It's a force. It's an it. It's not a he. It's not a personage. It's not God. By the way, in Acts 5, I talked about earlier, Ananias and Sapphira, you remember? Peter says, how has Satan put it in your heart to lie to, listen, God? Who did they lie to? God. And then Peter says, you have not lied to men, but to the Holy Spirit, equating the Holy Spirit with God. Holy Spirit is a he. You mean he's a male, a human being? No, but it's a male pronoun, meaning it's a personage, not a, not a force like gravity. I also point them to the verses that say that you can by sinning as a Christian, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. I say to them, tell me how you could grieve gravity or electricity. How? Shocking yourself with electricity? You can only grieve somebody that can be grieved. That's a person, not a power. It's a he. It's a male pronoun. The only one in the Trinity, you notice, doesn't have a name. No, he has the name Holy Spirit. That's not a name. Jesus of Nazareth, that's his name. Yahweh, God the Father, that's his name, Jehovah. Holy Spirit, what's his name? Harry, Jim, we don't know. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit never does this. He's always pointing to God the Father and the Lord Jesus for their glory, not his. Okay, uh, we talked about that. <laughs> so, uh, this is another reason, verse 11 is, for unity in the church. All these gifts, he's reminding them because they're fighting over them and my gifts are better than yours. And he's saying they're all the work of the one and the same spirit. And he's the one that distributes them as he determines. Meaning what? It's all grace. 
Don't be showing off your gift. Be thanking God that you have it and using it to build up the body, the Christians that are around you. Verse 12. We'll just introduce this subject because we got one or two minutes. This is that big, long analogy about a church being like a physical body and with many parts, but it's one body. And I've got a little toe and I've got a nose. I've got ears. I've got eyes. I've got a pinky finger. I don't use very much. So you might say, so your eyes are way more valuable than your pinky finger. I've got an, a lower intestine, which no one's ever seen that I know of, right? And so your eyes are more important than your low intestine. Not when you're sick with a stomach flu. Suddenly you're thinking lower intestine, right? That's the point he's going to make next week. Um, stay tuned. Same bat channel. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Father, for this time we could spend in your word. Thank you for spiritual gifts, God. And we, we thank you that you've given each of us a spiritual gift. We'll talk more about all the other gifts next week. And for those who don't know what their gift is, I pray there'd be revelation of what it is and how they could use it for the body of Christ. But whatever the case may be, God, may we use what you've given us, time, talent, treasure, and spiritual gifts, all for the building up of the body, all for your glory, all for the kingdom of God, not for our own self-aggrandizement. May it all be to your glory. May we hear the, the words of these uh, scriptures, the prophecy of them. May we appreciate each gift and use them all for your kingdom. Thank you for this time, Father. Bless these truths. May they change the way we live. We love you and we can't wait to see you. In the meantime, use us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here, make sure you say hello to someone on the other side of the room that you don't know. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Thanks for being here. See you next time.